So, how many of you enjoy a good murder mystery? When I was growing up, we used to read the Hardy Boys uh, and watch Scooby-Doo. And as an, as an adult, I've always enjoyed reading some great murder mystery writers, right? Holland Coben and stuff like that, or watching those great murder mystery series. In fact, Shireen and I just started one last night, believe it or not, uh, on Showmax. I love that type of stuff. Why do I enjoy it so much? I think there are two reasons. I think, firstly, it's, it's lacquer to see the bad guys get whacked, right? Crefoyo. It's great to see, to see the murderer get locked away and put behind bars. You sort of feel good, and you feel bad if it doesn't happen. I remember we watched The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which was a dramatization of the whole O.J. Simpson trial. And Shireen and I were too young we, to remember what happened. We didn't follow it or anything. So we were wondering what was going to happen, and when he got let free, we felt, <laughs> we felt so mad, you know. We like to see the bad guys get put away. But I wonder if part of me enjoys these, these little murder mystery stories because it makes me feel a little superior to the bad guys. You know, you see the bad guy, the murderer, you think, well, I would never, <laughs> I would never stoop to that level. I'm not too far gone like that guy. Well, if you can relate to me, maybe these words from Jesus are going to sober you up a little bit today, like they do to me every time I read them. Matthew 5, verse 21 to 24, Jesus' words from the Sermon of the Mount. Listen to this from Jesus. You've heard it said, or you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgments. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. We thank God for his word this morning. Well, it's a new series here at MCN called You've Heard It Said. And Jesus, in these, in these few passages on the Sermon of the Mount, quotes an Old Testament law. You've heard it said, is what he says. And then he goes on to explain those laws in a deeper way, in a new way. But I say to you, is what he says. And so we're going we're gonna to go into some of these instances in the next couple of weeks and see how Jesus takes these Old Testament laws and actually deepens them, challenges us in, in such a way. In fact, what we're going to see is that Jesus has some tough words for people like me who feel quite good for not having murdered or committed adultery or whatever other big sin we've managed to avoid. Jesus takes the whole thing deeper. Jesus says it's not so much about what your hands have done as what your heart has said or felt. In fact, just before this passage we've read, just before, the verse before, Jesus said these startling words to his followers. He said, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. <laughs> the Pharisees were meticulous about following the laws and keeping their hands clean. Jesus comes and says, you've got to be more righteous than them. And he was saying, I don't want you to just clean up your act. 
I want you to clean up your heart. At another time, he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, you're all beautiful on the outside. You're all clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead bones. That's what he said to them. And so he says to people like you and I today, okay, you think you're all right because you haven't murdered someone. But what's going on inside your heart? (laughs) You haven't murdered, but what murderous thoughts have you got? William MacDonald, when he comments, comments on this verse, says this, No longer can a person take pride in having never committed murder. Jesus says, In my kingdom you must not even have murderous thoughts. So then maybe I'm actually on equal footing with those murderers that I like to feel superior to. Hands up those who've never been angry. It's an empty church, so I'm not sure what you're doing at home. But I'm sure that all of us have been angry. It's a real struggle for most people, right? Now having said this, not all anger is bad. Jesus is surely not saying, never get angry. A young girl was writing a paper for her school, and she came to her father and said, Dad, what's the difference between anger and exasperation? So he thought about it, and he said, okay, I'm going to show you rather than explain it. He went over to the phone and dialed a random number, and a voice answered, and the father said, hello, is Melvin there? The man said, no, there's no one here called Melvin. You must have the wrong number. Put down the phone. So the father said to his daughter, now, he's not angry yet, but he's irritated. Now watch. He phoned the same number and said, hello, is Melvin there? The voice on the other other side said, come on, you've just phoned this number. What's wrong with you? You've just phoned it, and I've told you there's no Melvin here. Wake up, man. Slammed the phone down. So the father said to his daughter, now, you know what anger is. Now wait. Now you're going to see exasperation. He phoned the same number again. And when the voice answered, he said, hello, this is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? (laughs) So maybe that man was justified in his exasperation and in his anger. (laughs) It was Aristotle who said this, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power. And you see, this is where Jesus shines as an individual, as a human being. We see the perfection of Jesus in an amazing way because he got angry. He overturned tables, in fact, in the temple in a fit of rage. He spoke very harshly to the Pharisees, even calling them a brood of vipers. That's a bit of an insult. Jesus was even tough on his disciples, and he said to them, Don't you get it? What's wrong with you guys? But you see, he was angry with the right people to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way. So if Jesus in today's passage was saying, never get angry, then his, his actions contradict his words. He wasn't saying, never get angry. Anger at injustice and at evil is good. It's encouraged by Jesus. Anger that leads to good changes, justice and holiness, is good anger. But that's not what Jesus is referring to, is he, in our passage today. He's referring to anger in our relationships, anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards people in our lives that poisons our relationships. And in the words of Jesus, it makes us as guilty 
as the murderers. Let me ask you this. How does anger manifest in your life? It's different for different people, right? Everybody deals with their anger in a different way. Maybe you're anger style number one. You're like the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) Or you've got open anger, to use a more professional term. Do you remember the Incredible Hulk? He was that great comic character. And uh, his alter ego, or his real self, I suppose, is Dr. Bruce Banner, who's a withdrawn, gentle physicist. But he has this alter ego, the Hulk. And when something triggers him, he transforms. Remember the Hulk. He grows large. His muscles rip through his shirt. He actually grows in stature. His eyes go red, and he starts to get destructive. Maybe that's you with your anger. Something triggers you, and you explode. These are the people who have a bumper sticker that says, I don't suffer from road rage, I enjoy it. (laughs) I remember once saying to a colleague, you don't know who someone is until they climb into a car and and drive. That's when you see their, their real personality. And he said, I disagree. He said, that's when you see the worst in that person, not who they really are. He said, He said, I had an aunt once who was the most sweet, beautiful, quiet, gentle lady. But you put her behind a steering wheel and she would transform into some sort of demon. And she would go nuts on the road. He said, that wasn't who she really is. That was the worst in her. Maybe you've heard the story about the lady who raced up to the robot only to get caught behind a more cautious driver who didn't go through the orange light but stopped. So, of course, she hits her brakes and hooted and hooted and yelled, threw up her hands, threw certain fingers around, uh, hit her head on the steering wheel. Next thing you knew, a cop showed up at her door and pulled her out, put the cuffs on her. And she said, what are you doing? I didn't break any laws. And the officer replied, well, I pulled behind your car, and I noticed you were going ballistic, flipping off the guy in front of you, swearing at him. And then I saw the little sticker on the back of your car that said, what would Jesus do? And I saw the little Christian fish on the other side, and I thought, this is a stolen vehicle. (laughs) When you get triggered, does it bring out the Hulk in you? Maybe not. Maybe you're style number two, passive anger, also known as the Eeyore condition. Eeyore are the depressive types, right? They get triggered. They don't explode like the Hulk. They go inward. They implode. They shut themselves off. They go into a hole. You can ask an Eeyore type what's wrong, and they say nothing. But you know something's wrong. They say depression is anger without enthusiasm. Maybe that's you. Something upsets you. You don't go through the roof, but you withdraw. You let it eat at you. You you sit and you stew on it and you stew on it and it hurts your heart as you do. Maybe you're style number three, which is in between the two. It's passive aggression. It's also known as the spy syndrome. Like a spy, you pretend everything's fine. Right? You sit there on the same side as everyone. You don't let anybody know that anything's amiss. But then you plant your little bombs and you walk away. You drop your little comments. Just enough to make somebody say, is he okay? Is she okay? But you then pretend everything's fine. You have a full conversation with someone to their face. But then as they leave, you turn around and you take a little shot. Or maybe you smile to a person's face, but then to others, you have your say. Or maybe you're style number four, the historian. Are you the historian? You've got your little file, your little black book. And in there are all sorts of little things that have triggered you over the years, dated, 
filed. Someone angers you, goes in the book, man. That way you can stew on it and you can look it up and you can relive it and keep it handy so that when you need it, you can pull it out and say, do you remember when you did this 25 years ago? <laughs> like the lady whose husband died. The funeral took place and they put up a beautiful tombstone that said, rest in peace. The next day she went off to the lawyers for the reading of the will and to her horror, her husband had left everything to his secretary. So in a rage, she went back to the engravers and said, can I change the words on his tombstone? And they said, sorry, no, can't do that. It's already done. It says, rest in peace. So she thought about it and said, well, can you add something underneath? They said, okay, what do you want us to add? She said, I wanted to say, rest in peace until we meet again. <laughs> Maybe you harbor your anger so that one day you can, you can let it out. You know, Jesus knew people. He knew that people all struggle with anger in their different ways. Some people let it out. Some people implode. Some people get petty. Some people keep records. And I believe he says to you and I today, there's a better way. There's a better way to deal with your anger than in these different ways. The Jesus way is always the better way. So let me, let me briefly, briefly give you four R's to help us deal with our anger in the Jesus way. First R is the word refuse. Refuse to hurt anyone in anger. Jesus in our reading today warned against lashing out verbally. He said if you call somebody an idiot, a fool, you're in danger of judgment. The word that he used, rocker, means empty head, basically. It's an insult. People of God may get angry at injustice, but we refuse to mock. We refuse to insult. We refuse to call people names. We refuse to lash out in ways that are going to hurt. In fact, listen to these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Refuse, he says. Refuse to let such talk come from your lips. Be kind and compassionate instead. When anger wells up, refuse to mock and insult and name call. Refuse to go into your normal petty place. Refuse to put it in your file. Refuse to let anger have its way and instead be kind and compassionate and forgive. I mean, do I even need to say that lashing out physically is never the Jesus way? You know, gender-based violence is a big problem in our country. Why? Because a lot of men have never learned to release their anger in a good way. They lash out in hurtful ways and get violent. That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is to refuse to ever hurt another human being when you're angry, but instead to offer forgiveness and kindness. And instead to do the second R, which is release. Release your anger in healthy ways. And in unhurtful ways. Do you have a place to vent? You know what a vent is, right? It's a place that hot air can escape. 
Do you, have, do you have a place where you can vent your hot air or your, your poisonous gases that need to escape from your mind and your heart? You know, I play in a band, most of you know, Crossroad. We get together and practice once a week. And it's a place for us to vent. A lot of the time we get together and we set up our gear and while we do, we talk a load of nonsense. And a lot of the time something is irritating one of us and so we sort of talk to the other guys about it and, and let it out and vent. You know what I realized is that during the lockdowns, when we didn't do this, we started to take strain. I think this was true for a lot of people during lockdown. The normal ways that you would leave and blow off steam somewhere were now you're not allowed to do it anymore, whether it was coffee with a friend or sport or music like for me. And you ended up keeping it all inside instead of venting it. Do you have a place to vent and blow off some steam? Maybe it's a sport or art or a hobby of some sorts or music or dancing. Maybe it's just coffee with a friend. Maybe you've got a friend who you know you can go and vent to and it's a safe place or a mentor or maybe even a professional counseling relationship. Some people need that to find a place to get rid of the stuff that makes them angry. For some people, it's writing it all down. Good idea, as long as you then tear it up <laughs> and don't file it away in your little black book. But it's actually a good idea. Write it down. Get it out. Write a letter to someone you're angry with and then throw it away. Whatever it is, friends, find a place to release. Release or vent your anger. You know, many times, in fact, most times, when somebody gets really angry, it's not that event that's made them angry. That's just been the tip on the iceberg. They've had all sorts of stuff building up and building up and then something pushes them over the edge. Maybe if they just vented all that stuff and released it, they wouldn't have had to get as angry at that last moment. So refuse, release in healthy ways. Third, third R is reconcile. Reconcile wherever possible. Jesus said it in the reading. He said we need to reconcile with people before we even come to the altar with God or for God. What a serious view God takes on broken relationships. Think about this. For God, repairing a broken relationship is more important than a ritual act of worship. How about that? Two brothers had an argument and refused to speak to each other and their mother was distraught at all of this. She tried everything to get them to get, come back together, but to no avail. One of the brothers started to get guilty about how bad his mom felt, and so he bought her a beautiful gift, but she refused it. She said, I don't want your gift. I just want you and your brother to start talking again. And it's the same with God. Do you need to be reconciled with someone? Do you need to forgive or be forgiven? Don't let that anger fester. Friends, be reconciled and find peace. The best way to make sure that anger doesn't fester in your heart is to address it with the actual people you're angry with or who are angry with you. Oh, how sad. How sad when Christian people of all, of all people, Christian people keep grudges. How sad when friendships die because people refuse to forgive or refuse to apologize. Jesus is clear. Make things right. Make things right. And notice what he said. He said something difficult. He said, if somebody has something against you, you go make it right. Not the other way around. In our culture, we tend to say, okay, they need to come and apologize. And if they apologize, that's fine. We'll be all right. 
But here Jesus says, no, if someone has something against you, you go make it right. You go apologize. And so, friends, at all costs, reconcile. Reconcile. Life is too short not to. But lastly and most importantly, we need to learn to rely on God's Spirit 24-7. Rely on God's Spirit. This is the key to it all. Because God alone can truly change our hearts. You see, even a Pharisee could refuse to hurt somebody but still harbor the anger. Even a Pharisee could release his anger elsewhere. Even a Pharisee can reconcile with somebody. But that's still just outside stuff, isn't it? We need the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart and a cleansed heart. And only God can do that. Otherwise, we're going to still have all those dead bones like whitewashed tombs. Have you truly given your anger to God? Have you truly come to God with your anger, your temper, and asked him to cleanse you and give you a heart of patience and kindness and goodness? And have you believed that he can do that? We need to rely on him for that new ability to be new people. What does this look like practically? Well, it means turning to God all throughout the day. When anger wells up, we turn to God. We cry out to him. We ask for his spirit's help, for patience, for gentleness. When anger wells up, we pray. Our first response is to pray, to ask him, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to be kind. Help me to not get angry. We pray for the other person that's made us angry. We pray for the courage to reconcile. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, and it's a great verse for dealing with anger. He said, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Have that, that picture in your mind. When an angry thought comes into your mind, you take it captive and you make it obedient to Christ. And obedience to Christ is always releasing the anger instead of acting out on it. And so, my friends, be careful of thinking yourself better than a murderer. Be careful of thinking that you're better than everybody else because you've never murdered someone. Because Jesus is looking at more than just your hands. He's looking at your heart. Be careful of being a whitewashed tomb, looking good to the world, but inside having dead bones in your heart with with anger festering inside. Be careful of anger that is destructive. Be careful of lashing out or imploding or getting pity or keeping records. But instead, oh, choose a better way. Choose the Jesus way. Choose to rely on God's Spirit every day of your life. And then you know what? You will have the power to refuse your old ways. You'll be able to release your anger in good ways. You'll be able to reconcile with those who've hurt you and refuse harmful ways. You just need to surrender to him and live with his spirit. So we're going to close with a song called Change My Heart, O God. And as we sing it, I hope that it's going to make sense to you in this context. Maybe you are one of those four styles of anger. And maybe as we sing it, this can be you saying, Change my heart, Lord. Cleanse me. Give me a new heart. And may your spirit change me forever so that I don't live an angry life. So come, let's sing it together.
Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like. Let's pray as we close the service. Let's our pray, O oh God, change our hearts. Change our angry hearts. Change our stubborn pride, Pharisee-like hearts. Let us never again feel superior for, for not having murdered. But let us look deeply into our hearts, O oh God, and find that even our anger needs to be turned over to you so that we can live free from such sin. Forgive us, O God, we pray. Forgive us for the insults that we tend to enjoy. Forgive us for the way we tend to speak about people. Forgive us for harboring anger in our hearts. Help us, O Holy Spirit, to be made new. O cleanse our hearts, O God. Help us to remember that with your Spirit in us, we've got no obligation to get angry and to get mean and to get cruel. But instead, you've given us the power to forgive, to love, to be kind and compassionate. And so I pray, O oh God, that each one of us listening will have the courage to rely on you for this blessing. To claim it by faith and to live it in these weeks. Oh, give us the courage in the weeks to come and the days to come to reconcile with those who may be upset with us. Give us the courage to say, I'm sorry, and to apologize, I pray, Lord. Give us the courage to rebuild those relationships. Give us the courage, O oh God, to truly turn our anger over to you and to be made new by you. Lord, we know that it's possible by your Holy Spirit and by a life dedicated to you. And so we leave now in faith knowing that you go with us, knowing that no matter where we go, you are there to help and to give us the power we need in this dark world. Father, as we leave, may, may your light shine out of us. Help us to be different from the world out there, but to be full of love, to be full of grace, 
to be holy as you are holy and to live lives that will make you smile. And so we go with your peace in our hearts, your power in our hands, your praise on our lips. Thank you, Lord, for this time of worship today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, friends, let's share the words of the benediction, and let's spread it through all the TV screens and phones and wherever it is that people are watching. Let's share these words together to bless the people of Mseni. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace, friends.